The following is a Thunderbolt West Media production. Food preservation, energy crisis, and old dogs with new tricks. You are listening to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show with Jim Calhoun. The storm was coming, the sky was on fire, fear was in their eyes. It's my opinion that we should be prepared to lean on our faith and be able to step out on the sea. Thanks for tuning in to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. I'm your host, Jim Calhoun. This show features off-grid topics such as creating your own power, gardening, homesteading, and other issues related to off-grid living. I also seek to educate my listeners about survival and prepping, and I'll talk about anything from government corruption to chemtrails. Also, I feel that our constitutional republic is worth saving. So I never miss an opportunity to do my part in helping to save our republic. I have two main goals for this show. Number one, to help you build your faith in God. And number two, to help each listener become as self-sufficient as possible. This show comes to you from the Harmony Barn Studios, located near Hershey, Nebraska, in the United States of America. The Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show is aired on KYAH, AM 540 in Delta, Utah, Utah's Talk Authority. Also, the show can be heard on 89.3 FM, Key Radio in Osage Beach, Missouri. And on shortwave, tune in to frequency 7.490 WBCQ, Monticello, Maine. This show is also available on demand as a podcast on Anchor, Spreaker, Podpoint, and Podpage. And be sure to visit the website at offgridliving.faith. And I really do appreciate you joining me today. Glad to have you aboard today. This show is going to have quite a bit of variety as far as topics are concerned. Because a couple of things have happened that I think I need to address as far as things in the world. And also, I did promise that I was going to do more food preservation techniques. And so, definitely going to do that. And then also, I'm going to talk about... Old Dogs and New Tricks. And you'll find out later in the show about this old dog and the new tricks that she's learned. I want to start off by thanking everyone for tuning in again. I really do appreciate it. And also, I've received several letters of support, and I really do appreciate that. And some of the letters have a donation, and others don't. And while the donations are vital for me to keep this program on the air, if you're a radio listener and don't have email, feel free to drop me a postcard or letter. I really enjoy getting those because I'm getting to know my audience. And the better I know my audience, the better I will be able to serve my audience. And so I really would like to know a little bit about the folks that listen to this show because I want to do my ultimate best 
to make this show worth your time. Now with that said, I'm going to revisit last week's show. I talked about preserving eggs, and I forgot two things. And after the show aired, I thought, how could I forget this? And so if you have access to archives of this show as far as internet, well, please go back and listen to last week's show. But if you don't have that luxury to be able to do that, in a nutshell, I talked about preserving eggs in slake lime, or sometimes it's called hydrated lime, and other people call it pickling lime. And I do know there's slight differences between some of those as far as the strength of the main ingredient. But basically, slake lime, pickling lime, and hydrated lime are basically the same thing. I know there's minor differences. But if you go out to buy slake lime, you're probably going to have to settle with what you find. And you're going to find some of the higher-grade pickling lime, and you'll find some of the lower-grade lime that you'd use in a garden. But any of the three will work. And so what you do is you use one quart of water to one ounce of the slake lime. You mix it well, and then you make sure the eggs are totally covered. Then you put a lid on your container and so it doesn't evaporate, and store it in a cool room. And I mentioned that you should use eggs that are clean right from the nest, because natural eggs have a film on it that the hen leaves on the egg, and that helps to preserve the egg in a natural way. And when you wash eggs, you're actually washing off this protective coating that's naturally on the egg. And so that kind of gives you a little background. But what I didn't mention is that you should store the eggs pointy side down. That's one thing that got by me that I didn't mention that. And so I want to mention it now. When you store these eggs, don't just dump them in a bucket. Make sure you put pointy side down. And it's kind of hard to put the first few in there because what they're going to do is try to roll on you. And so what I do is tip the container and then put the first egg and kind of balance it. And with the container still kind of at an angle, in that way I use gravity to kind of pull the egg down to the side as well as pulling the egg down. And then after you get five or six eggs in there to support each other, it gets a little easier. And once you get the first layer all the way around with all the eggs with pointy side down, then you have a little crater between the eggs to put the next pointy side down eggs in that container. And so it's the first layer that's kind of tough, but the other layers are easy. And make sure that you put about a quarter to a half an inch of water above each egg. I wanted to mention during this show that there's a lot of things that some people can't afford, and there's many things people can't afford. And so when I recommend something, I try to look at the people that will not be able to afford it. I put those people first. And the reason I do is, number one, I relate. I was in a horrible car accident, and I didn't have medical insurance, and the person that ran over me didn't have insurance, and it financially broke me. And I'm still, after 12 years, I'm still feeling the financial effects of this massive wreck. And it not only wrecked my body, it also wrecked my memory, and it really wrecked my finances. And so everything I've had to build back, I've had to do it one little thing at a time. Baby steps. I've been doing baby steps now for 12 years, trying not to 
tumble and fall on my face. And so I really understand that too much month at the end of the money concept. I understand it all too well. And so lots of times when I'm talking to my audience, I am talking to the people that maybe through no fault of their own, or maybe they've just been poor financial planners, but they don't have any money. And just because someone doesn't have any money, in my opinion, doesn't make them any less of a person as far as being worthwhile and being loved by God and being a great citizen. Money is just a thing. It's what's inside that counts. Some of the best people I've ever known just didn't have anything. Didn't have a house, didn't have a car, just had the clothes on their back, and that was about it. But they had their pride, they had their honor, they had manners, they had intelligence, they had everything together. They just didn't have any money. And also, I've met people that had millions of dollars that got rid of it because they were sick of the whole rat race. They were sick of the game, that money chase game. They just got done with it. And I met a guy that was basically a bum, and he liked to ride the trains, and he didn't have a car, and when he wasn't riding a train, he was walking. Every once in a while, he'd hitchhike, and he would take a ride in a car, but that wasn't his style. And he had a little bedroll, and that's where he slept at night, just wherever he could take this old bedroll and roll it out. And he was happy. And I visited with him for quite a while, and I found out that he had massive amounts of money, and he got burned out, and he wanted his life to go in a whole different direction. And so he gave almost everything away, and then he just walked off. He quit his job. He quit everything. He just started over, and he started over rock bottom, and he liked it, and he stayed there. Does that make him any less of a person? No, he's just as worthwhile as you or me. And so that's why when I'm talking about food preservation and prepping and all sorts of things, I always try to mention things that you can do basically on the cheap. Now, what I'm going to mention right now will not be on the cheap. And so the folks that can't afford this, there are alternatives, and I'll talk to you a little bit about those. But for the people that have the resources, I think that it's a no-brainer that before we have any power outages, which I'm going to talk about that during this show quite a bit as well. I really do think that we're all going to be knocked off grid. And I think it's going to be very soon. And even if you have lots of money, I think that you're going to be feeling the pinch of what this energy is actually going to cost when you do use it. And so planning to get things that are electrical for long term probably is not the smartest idea right now. But I do know that this will all pass. And when it does, if you have your equipment that you bought that you haven't been able to use because the electricity was out, eventually the electricity will come back on and there will be a new normal and you'll still have your equipment. And so even though I'm going to recommend you buy it now, I do know it's a little risky because you might not be able to use it too long. And then after a while, when everything gets squared around, which it will, the power will eventually come back on. And then you'll be able to reap the benefits again of what I'm going to recommend that you do. But if you do have the money, I think you should get a very nice commercial grade, not one of these cheapos. I'm talking a good one. Food dehydrator. 
I think that that's vital. And another tool I'm going to recommend that you get is a commercial grade freeze dryer. Now, when I say commercial grade, I know I'm talking everything's going to have a bigger price tag, a much bigger price tag. But if you buy a consumer grade product, then you're going to get what you pay for. It's not going to last as long and you're not going to be near as satisfied with the results. It'll be harder to use. It'll be lower capacity. It won't be as efficient. But if that's all you can find, you might have to settle for a consumer-grade dehydrator and a consumer-grade freeze-dryer. But if you can freeze-dry your own food, then that's much better than buying this survival food from these companies that simply freeze-dry other food. You could be freeze-drying all sorts of garden things and also meats, and it's almost endless what you can do with the freeze-dryer. But before you lay out any cash, you need to really do your research. Find the manufacturer that you want, find the model that you want, and really know why you want that model. Not just because someone told you to get it. You need to research it out and know the facts for yourself as to the pros and cons of what you decide to get. Then I want you to become an expert in using it. Because I have a feeling that if you get really good at freeze-drying food, then there's a possibility that you can freeze-dry food for other people on a shares basis. In other words, you can freeze-dry 50 pounds of somebody's carrots, and you can take 5 or 10 pounds as payment for your labor to freeze-dry. And so there are ways you can think outside the box and have a little side business, and that's why I'm saying get a commercial grade. Because if you get a consumer grade, it will not stand up to heavy use. And so you really need to consider getting both that dehydrator and freeze dryer. Now, what's the difference between the two? The freeze drying is quicker, it's more efficient, and you can do a lot more food with a freeze dryer than you can a dehydrator as far as how much food per minute or per hour that you can actually preserve. Now, the dehydrator will work excellent with making jerky and all sorts of things like that. And so you need to know the difference between a dehydrator and a freeze dryer. Then you'll know why I'm recommending both, because both of them are unique in what they do. Now the end product is still dry, but the process is so different, and also the capabilities of both are different. But where I'm trying to steer you, if you have the money, is to be able to make your own supplies. If you can freeze dry and also dehydrate your own food, then you don't need any refrigeration. Again, you can start a side business. And anything that you would forage or you would find or you could buy or however you acquired it, you could freeze dry it. The only bad part of this dehydrator and freeze dryer would be if the power goes out, then you won't be able to use these units. And also, both of these units will take quite a bit of electricity, and I think electricity is going to go through the roof. It's already on the rise, but I think that we haven't seen anything yet. And so I would recommend, as food preservation, to look into those two units. Now, if you don't have the money, now the freeze-drying is out of the question, but the dehydrating, you can build your own dehydrator. You can build a solar dehydrator. You can build a dehydrator also that's a smoker. 
You can build a wood-fired dehydrator. There's so many things that you can build that will dehydrate food more natural, and it's a slower process. But in my opinion, the best thing you could do is to build a really nice solar dehydrator. In that way, as long as the sun is shining, you always have a heat source. You always have fuel. And it would be very hard to describe how to make a solar dehydrator in detail on the radio. So I'm just going to give you it in a nutshell. What you need is a box that's painted black on the inside. You're going to want to angle it to where it's facing the sun. And you're going to want to have a pane of glass that is on top of your box to let the sunlight in. And also you're going to want it vented. And you would want to vent it at the bottom and vent it to where no insects or anything could get into what you're dehydrating. But I really think it would be a great plan is if you do have internet, go on the internet and look at all the different wonderful ideas that people have for dehydrating food with a solar dehydrator. But if you're a radio listener and you don't have internet, go to your public library and speak to your librarian and have your librarian order in a book that's all about building a solar dehydrator. I doubt if most public libraries are going to have one on the shelf, but I have a feeling that almost any public library is part of the Lend-Lease program to where they'll be able to find a library that does have that book and get it for you. I think that's time well spent, and I think it's an effort that will pay off. And when I come back, I'm going to talk about old dogs and new tricks. Broadcasting from the United States of America, you are listening to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. I think that the situations worldwide are going to force a lot of us old dogs to learn new tricks. Because there's already a new normal, and I think that this is a temporary new normal. I think it's going to be an ongoing bunches of new normals for everyone that's pretty much born and raised and stuck in the 20th century. And I know personally, I'm more of a 19th century man stuck in the 21st century. And so there's lots of things that make me feel like a fish out of water. But I have to learn new tricks. And every day, there's a new technology that seems to be thrust upon the world, whether we want it or not. And it will supersede what we were using before. Even if there was nothing wrong with the production or the availability or the ease of operation or anything of an item, it's simply been superseded. It's been replaced by something new. And so constantly, when we have our system all down and we know exactly how to do what we're doing, then we go in and try to buy the same supplies that we've been using for a year or two or 10 years or however long, and we find out that it's no longer available. And so we have to change the way we do things because what is available is just enough different that we have to learn a new trick. 
And I think it's something that we all need to do is learn new tricks. And probably the best new trick that you could do is to take one hour a day and try to get in a nice calm place with no drama and no noise, no distractions, turn your cell phone off, and just think. Just get the juices flowing. Actively try to exercise your brain. Think of ways that you can live outside the box and do things outside the box. Think of alternative ways to do everything that you're already doing. Now, some of your ideas are going to be ludicrous. They're going to be awful. But you just might come up with a new trick and learn a new way that is much better than what you've been doing. And if it comes from you, it comes from your thought process, then that's absolutely the icing on the cake. And I want to talk about an old dog here real quick before I get back on topic. But this is related to old dogs learning new tricks because it is an old dog. Now, some of you people know that I rescue animals, and I rescue dogs that are going to be put down. And I rescued a blue healer. Her name is Angel, and that's probably the worst name in the world for a blue healer because anyone that knows blue healers knows that they could be pretty high-strung. And Angel is not the word that comes to mind when a blue healer starts getting antsy and starts getting worked up. But Angel obviously had working parents and has an excellent bloodline for working cattle. But as a puppy, she went to live with a lady that lived in town, and the lady wanted a lap dog. So she probably would have been better off to get a poodle or something like that. But she liked the looks of this blue healer, so she got this blue healer. Well, blue healers are the type of a dog that they need something to do. And for 10 years, this dog had nothing to do. She was super fat, diabetic, arthritic, and also never went outside the house without a leash. And so she was very well leash trained, and also she was crate trained. But when she was in the house, which was 99% of the time, she had to stay in one certain corner in one certain room. She couldn't go anywhere in the house. She had to stay in the one room that had tile on the floor. And that's where she slept and ate. And then two or three times a day, she would be shown a leash and she would go nuts because she wanted to go for her walk. And the old woman would take her out and take her for a spin in the yard and take her right back in the house. She didn't allow this dog to ever really mature mentally. So the only thing this dog ever knew was to stay in its little spot. It wasn't allowed to get on the carpet, the furniture. wasn't allowed to go for rides in the car. This dog was pretty much like something you put on a shelf, more of a statue type of a thing. Well, this old lady got Alzheimer's and had to go to a nursing home. And nobody wanted this dog, and so they were going to put it down. But my veterinarian knows that I rescue dogs like that, so he called up and asked if I wanted to adopt another old dog and told me that she was old and was a short-termer, but also told me the, and told me that she was a blue healer, but, but she acted nothing like any blue healer he'd ever seen, more like a very high-strung poodle. Well, of course, I said yes, and I brought Angel home, and first of all, Angel wasn't around men. 
and so I was the first man she was really around. She didn't like that, so every time I'd walk in the room, she'd bare her teeth and growl at me. That was problem number one. Problem number two is that she was afraid to go outside the house. And if I wanted to let her out so she could go out and relieve herself, well, I had to drop what I was doing, get a leash, and show her the leash. And when I did that, then she liked me because she wanted that leash. She wanted to go outside. And out here on the ranch, I have my dogs. I don't just let them run loose. They're not just running everywhere they want to go. I do watch them very carefully, but I don't have them tied up. And so they know where they're supposed to be and where they're not supposed to be. And so I don't have to look over my shoulder. They're very well behaved. And so I wanted my dog's behavior to rub off on this new dog. And so I let her out with the other dogs, and she was terrified. And this dog did nothing but cower in the corner and basically pee herself. She was so scared. I introduced her to stairs, and she freaked out. The first five or six times she went upstairs, I had to carry her up. And watching her learn how to go down the stairs was very comical. But it took her about a week, but now she loves going up and down the stairs. But when I introduced her to cows, I had no intention on ever using her, herding any cattle, because her arthritis is bad enough and she was overweight and just not in any condition to where if a cow decided to charge, this dog would have been toast. And so I didn't want this dog anywhere really near cows. But I wanted to introduce her to cows. Well, of course, she was terrified, and she put her tail between her legs and peed herself and ran off. And, and I thought, wow, you know, a blue healer that's scared of cows, that's, that's interesting. Well, after a while, something snapped inside this dog. And I mean in a good way. She finally learned that I was her human. And so one day, the growling and the bearing of teeth stopped and the wagging of tails, and the happy and the happy little hops that a dog will do when it sees its owner and wants to spend time with it. And so the dog all of a sudden adopted me as its human. And about two weeks later, it decided it wanted to go out with me when I went to check the cows. And instead of being scared, she knew instinctively that there was something she had to do. She was frustrated. She didn't know what. And so she just sat there and yipped at him, but she wasn't scared of him. Well, fast forward another four or five weeks, and the other dogs work cows pretty well. And she was watching them, and she finally, something snapped in her head again, and a light bulb went on. And she's been my best cow dog now for about three months. And I'm still worried about her getting run over because she still has some issues of mobility. But I pulled the weight off of her, and I have her in condition now. And she can go out and herd cattle for an hour or so before she's exhausted, which is actually very good for her because she didn't have any exercise her whole life. But now this dog lives to go out to the cows so she can go chase the cows and put them in. She is the most happy animal I've ever seen in my life. When I look at her and say, Angel, cows, her personality just explodes. And she jumps in circles and yips and hops around, and she just can't wait to go out. And then once she sees the cows, she can't contain herself. She starts yipping at them, and it's constant. She doesn't take any breaks. She works really hard, and instinctively she knows exactly what I'm doing with the cows. So she's actually a very good help. And why I'm telling you about this old dog is that 
you would think that with no background, being a town dog that's always been inside a house, never introduced to anything, just knew her little corner and knew her leash and knew her crate, and that's all she ever knew. Now I've had her for about a year, and I can say I have a real dog, and she's really, really happy. And I know she was happy with the old lady she was with because this dog loves to eat, and she was about three times as big as she should have been as far as weight. But I have her weight down to where it's about normal now. She's a little bit heavy around her girth of her chest, but as far as everywhere else, I've leaned her down really well. But I tell you the story about this dog because there's an awful lot of us out there that we're set in our ways, and we have our ways of doing things, and we have the things that we've always done it that way, so why would we try it any different? And here's this guy on the radio, speaking of myself, telling you to think outside the box and to do something different and learn how to live with new ideas and run with it. And the reason that I'm doing that is that I really do see very soon, very much sooner than is convenient for anyone, that we're going to see something extremely massive as far as a worldwide explosion of horrible bad news. And it's going to trickle down to us. And in the second part of the show, I'm going to talk about that quite a bit. But I think it's going to trickle down to us, not as grains of sand in an hourglass. I think it's going to trickle down on us like boulders out of a dump truck. I really do. I think we're going to get smashed pretty good. Now, I hope I'm wrong, but I really don't see any way out of it right now. Because the powers that be all over the world, they're satanic, they're evil, they're hell-bent on destruction. They want to build back better, so they have to destroy everything. And the way they want to build back, it's better for them and a lot worse for us. And so we have out-of-control politicians, we have psychopaths, we have narcissists, we have all sorts of sociopaths, we have everything imaginable that's in government right now that's bad. And when I say government, I'm saying all around the world. And it seems like all of these elected officials want to become dictators and tyrants. And a lot of them are. I look at that little creep up in Canada. And I tell you what, you talk about a little, you talk about a little tin god. And then you look at what we have in the White House in the United States. What a disgrace. He's a disgrace as a human being. And I have zero respect for him or his family or anything he's done or anything he's going to do. Because the guy is nothing but a loser. But the guy is what they would say in England. He's a tosser. And I think as soon as we toss him, the better. But anyway, all of these people that are in charge all over the world are going to make sure that things explode and implode and are upside down. And it's obvious by the people that are supposedly the leaders in Europe, it's obvious what they think about their own people. They would rather have their own people freeze to death in the winter and also not have what they need as far as food supplies or anything else because they want to virtue signal and say, Russia bad, where in reality, these countries should have minded their own business. And I really do think that Russia is collecting an awful lot of information, and hopefully it'll be released to the world. And I'm not talking about made-up information. I think that Russia is cataloging an awful lot of things that they're finding, such as the Biden's corruption in Ukraine, 
Remember, illegitimate Joe is the big guy. And while he was campaigning, he was bragging about blackmailing people in Ukraine. And people in this country just laughed about it. The guy is absolutely evil, and he's absolutely a jerk. And so when I pick on Canada a little bit and say they have a little tin god tyrant up there, well, we have a tin god tyrant as well. Yours is young, ours is senile and old, and and needs to be put out to pasture. But that's another story. But what I'm really getting at is that I think that you're going to have no choice but to learn new tricks. And I think that you're going to have to get really good at thinking on your feet and not thinking in ways that you've always thought. I think you're going to have to look at other people's viewpoints, other people's thoughts, other people's conclusions, even if you don't agree with it. I think you need to try to understand it a little bit, unless it's totally whacked out like this new woke thing saying that there's as many genders as they want to make up at whatever moment in time. I don't think that you need to spend any time trying to understand insanity. But anything that's sane and rational, even if you don't agree with it, maybe it's how something is built or something is designed or maybe even the color of something, you need to learn how to stretch your own thought process. Because if you can stretch your own mind, remember that once you stretch your mind out to be able to understand new concepts and to be able to think and dream up bigger and better concepts, your mind will never go back. If you were a small-minded person, you will never be small-minded again. And if you're already not a small-minded person, then you probably already know what I'm telling you is true, that you need to exercise your brain, you need to think outside the box, you need to do things that stimulate your thought process, and also, and also you need to have this attitude that is creative that you're having a good time, you're enjoying the things that you're thinking up. It's something that becomes not a chore, but just an absolute joy. And I recommend that everyone do that. Because I think that all of us old dogs are going to be forced into learning new tricks. And if we're an old dog that can't learn a new trick, we're going to get run over. Period. It's that simple. And the saying that I like to use is, he who hesitates is lost, is going to really apply in the very near future. And so you need to be able to be like this running back that gets handed the ball, and there might be five or six defenders going to come tackling. So he jukes one way, and he spins another way, and he changes direction, and he gets away from all these people because he changes his trajectory of where he's going to where a defender gets faked right out of their shoes. You need to get your thought process to be that fast. And so when something throws something at you mentally, that you can do what it takes right at that very second to make a very good, competent decision. And after the break, I'll be right back. If you enjoy the Living Off-Grid Powered Information Show, I would ask that you consider donating to this show to help cover expenses because we don't get paid here. This is all done by donations and we do not take anything online as far as PayPal or any of that because of all the censorship. Not that they have shut us off, it's just I'm not going to give them the opportunity. So we're going to do it the old fashioned way by mail. 
check, money order, or if you want to put cash in a secure envelope, we would appreciate any donation, any size. Just send all your correspondence to Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, 69143. That's Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, 69143, and your support is greatly appreciated. This next song was recorded in 1902 by the Edison Military Band. America, played by the Edison Military Band. Replace fear with faith. Replace pessimism with hope. Replace despair with determination. And don't be afraid to rely on God and step out on the sea. Welcome back to the second half of the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. I'm your host, Jim Calhoun, and I've been talking about food preservation. I've been talking about old dogs and new tricks and talking about the possibility that we're going to be forced off-grid. Now, that seems to be a recurring theme in this show, but nothing has changed in the world for the better that makes me rethink that. I do know the Nord Stream pipelines, number one and number two, have been damaged by possible sabotage. And so what does that mean for you? Well, I'm going to tell you what it means for you. Number one, somebody sabotaged a pipeline. Now, was it Russia? I don't think so. Because they built it, it was theirs, it's part of their infrastructure. And they'd already shut it down. And so they had the power of the on-off switch or the power of the valve. 
It was someone that did not have the power of the valve or the on-off switch that actually blew these things up. I'm not going to point any fingers, but I am going to say that I doubt that Russia blew up their own pipeline. But what that does do, it assures that no matter what, Europe is in bad trouble for energy. And what that means is that the people that have money in Europe are going to do whatever it takes to buy whatever energy they can from wherever they can. And one of the places that they can buy natural gas and other energy is from the United States of America. And so those are things that are out of your control. But what does happen in Europe is eventually going to come bite us here. And last winter, I was prepared for what illegitimate Biden was saying was going to be a cold, dark winter. Well, I think he's one season off because I think this is going to be the cold, dark winter that they were talking about. And remember that Klaus Schwab in his World Economic Forum has stated that by 2030, we will own nothing and be happy. And by the way, we're going to eat bugs and everything else. And I think that is really what they have on their agenda for you and for me. And so I'm not going to let that happen to me. And if I can help it, I'm not going to let it happen to you. Because one of the main reasons I'm doing this show is because I truly want to help. And so I am going to be throwing up a huge red flag right now that everybody needs to understand that with this with the destruction of these pipelines and also with Russia annexing these areas that were formerly part of the Ukraine. But if you want to go far enough back in history, they were part of Russia. And so whoever says they were never part of Russia is wrong. And if anyone says they were never part of Ukraine, that's wrong. These are areas that are full of ethnic Russians. And also these areas have a lot of ethnic Ukrainians. And it's simply a mess. But if their elections were fairer and more honest than what our elections were, which I don't think they could be any more crooked, then I think they have to go with the vote. And I understand it was overwhelmingly that the people wanted to rejoin Russia. Now, whether someone was stuffing the ballot box or anything else, I don't know. But I do know that no one's going to recognize it, but the people that live there are, and it should be their opinion that counts. But nobody outside of that region of the world is going to recognize no one's going to recognize the referendum that makes these parts of Ukraine turn them back into Russia. That's just not going to happen. And when these areas are attacked, well, as far as Russia is concerned, they're bringing their children home, their children by meaning these states, that's going to rejoin. Well, when these states that rejoin get attacked by Ukrainians, then all of a sudden, Russia is going to see that as an attack on Russia. And more importantly, the Russian people are going to see it as an attack on the Russian people as well. And so things have spiraled so far out of control over there that just like World War II caused rationing here and it changed the whole United States, you look at things that were 1935 and you compare everything to 1950, two totally different countries, two totally different headspaces. 
And really, between 1940 and 1945, the whole world changed massively. And I think that we really are on the verge of that happening once again. Only this time, with the mass communication and the technology that we have, I think the changes are going to be bigger and happen faster. Everything's going to be bolder. It's going to have more treachery, more danger. I really do see that the average common person that just wants to be left alone, that just wants to live their life and make a living and raise their family and do no harm to anyone and they don't tolerate anyone harming them, I think that these are the people that are going to get run over if they're not careful. And so that's who I'm really addressing here is the common average working person, people that make the world go around. They really do. Without the common, normal people, this world would be absolute chaos because it's the common people that actually hold a job and hold everything down. They are the great stabilizer. They're the ones that allow civilization to exist in the first place. Not these flamboyant tyrants or these people that are woke and triggered by everything and the people that need to have a special room that they can curl up and play with their Crayolas or hold a teddy bear when they're 20-some years old in college because somebody used the wrong pronoun. I'm not talking about those people because those people are the destructive part of the world. They're the part of the world that if everyone was like that, we would not have a society. And so I think what they're trying to do is knock society down, and they need to knock the pillars, the absolute bedrock foundation of society. They have to knock that down. And guess who is part of that bedrock of society? It's people like you and me. So I do think we have targets on us. And so what can we do about this? Well, as far as if you are already off-grid, do everything in your power to protect your gear. Do everything in your power to make sure that before winter hits, that all of your equipment is in tip-top condition. You might want to even redouble your inspections. You might want to work at it just a little bit harder. Because if you have equipment that goes down, who knows if it's going to be available? And if it is available, who knows what it's going to cost? I think we're like a very large person, a great big person on very thin ice, and the water is extremely cold and also extremely deep. And I think that we're out on this thin ice, and I think we're hearing the ice crack and seeing it crack, and it's just a matter of time before we take the plunge. We break through that ice and we're in that icy cold water. And I think as society, I think that's where we're at right now. I think that the ice is breaking. I think that we have a lot of baggage as societies go. And I think that it's about to crash into the icy cold water. And I think the world's about to get a huge reality check. Now, that's just my opinion. But I do want to recommend to my listeners that what you need to do is make yourself as immune as possible. And if you're not off-grid and you have an opportunity and have the money to get off-grid right now, I highly recommend that you put a pencil to it and find the right people that will steer you the right way 
find the right company to purchase your equipment from, and make sure that company has technicians that are very friendly and very helpful, and start forming your team, your power-generating team. I think things are going to get rocky. I think things are going to get rough. And I think the waves are going to be astronomically large. And I think if we wait until this proverbial crap hits the fan, if we wait for that moment before we start taking control of things, I honestly think that we're too late. I think everything that you do right now has to be put on at least a five-year plan. And I think you should have a five-year plan that goes in several directions. And definitely the one that I would put at the top, the one I would plan first, would be the what-if plan. What if we lose power? What if the grocery store shelves are empty? What if there's no drinkable water? What if there's social unrest? What if all of these corrupt, horrible, evil politicians, what if they get us into a nuclear war? Now, I know those are very dark and horrible subjects to think about, but I really think that if you're planning for sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows, I have a feeling that your plan isn't going to work. Now, I hope things aren't near as dire as I think they are, but every day I study, and every day I look at the remarks that different politicians and world leaders say, and I see little things that are kind of like a bridge too far or having someone put a chip on their shoulder and dare you to knock it off. It seems like that the lines are being drawn in the sand, so to speak, every day. And there's lots of people crossing those lines. And I think it's just a matter of time before things become extremely heated. And when they do that, your life is going to change. Even if it's going to the store and buying a quart of motor oil for your garden tractor. Even that is going to change if this nuclear war breaks out. Or even if it's not nuclear, a war with Russia at this point, I think almost assures a war with China. And there's another what if. What if we go to war with China? What if China cuts us off? We get almost all of our prescription medications from China most of the tools, nuts, and bolts. Almost everything that we see is made in China. And even if it's made somewhere else, if you would disassemble that and look at where the parts came from, the parts to assemble the unit likely originated in China. And so you might have something that says made in USA or made in Canada on it that actually is assembled here, made out of Chinese parts. And then also... If China goes to war with Taiwan, and Taiwan is a major source for us to get computer chips, and it seems like nobody knows how to make anything that's not computerized anymore. They probably even have computerized toothpicks somewhere. It just seems like everything has to rely on a computer. And I think that that's really a soft spot. I think that's an area that where we can really get hurt. And so another thing you need to do on your what-if plan, what if you can't use your appliances or your tools or anything because they're all computerized. So I really think that, in my opinion, and this is what I've done, is I have looked in antique stores and I've looked online 
and I've really outfitted myself out with tools of my great-grandfather. And before you scoff at that, almost all of the great skyscrapers you see that were built, some of them more than 100 years ago, you see the great bridges and even the pyramids. You can look at all of these things that mankind has made without a computer and without any power tools. And so I really do think that we need to get a mindset. That's part of my old dog's new tricks. We need to have a mindset that we can learn new things and we can try new things. And one thing I think we're going to be forced into trying is to run our life on a day-to-day basis without a computer. And so we have to use the rubber meets the road. Take care of your energy. Take care of it now. If you can, get a wood-burning stove. Even if you don't install it, do your best to find one. And I have a feeling that if you have one of these tucked away in the back room as insurance, there will come a day, possibly this winter, matter of fact, I would almost bet that it'll be this winter, that you're going to be forced to pull that thing out of storage and hook it up. And the day that you have to do that, in a way, is your independence day. You're independent from anyone that can harm you or make you cold. The only person at that point that can make you cold is you. Because you can always find wood to burn. And if you can't find wood to burn, you can find cardboard or something else. There's always something that you can put in that stove. Now, you might have some times in your life you're a little bit chilly. But when you have that fire roaring, you'll be so happy that you had that in reserve. Now, if you're planning on possibly heating with wood anyway, but you haven't yet, well, then go ahead and bite the bullet, install it, get it ready, and start using it. And let's say that you can still get your propane and natural gas that's not disrupted. But let's say the price doubles. Well, in that case, if you would heat your home 50% with wood, then your savings on what you don't have to use, propane and natural gas, will bring the price back down to where you've handled that increase in price. You've handled it by reducing how much you use. Now, if you have to buy really high-priced firewood, if you live in an area that you can't get your own firewood, well, then wood can get pretty pricey. And so before you lay out the cash to buy any kind of a wood-burning stove, do your research, find out how much wood is going to cost in your area, and talk to the wood suppliers and ask them what they think of as far as the price, if it's going to go up. And there's always places that need to be cleared. And I'm talking about sweat equity. I'm talking about rolling your sleeves up and going to work. But if you can find a property that has dead trees and they want the trees removed, you possibly can make a little money. But where I'm heading this is that you could ask them for the wood and exchange that for the work that you would do to take their trees out. And so there's another old saying that where there's a will, there's a way. And so I think it's time for us to turn our brains on, come up with different ways of doing things, get some what-if plans, what if this happens, what if that happens. You're going to have to be able to think fast and think on your feet. You're going to have to really be a protector of your family. And if you're the head of the household and you listen to this show, 
well, you truly are going to have a chance to be that knight in shining armor. Unfortunately, I think that that's something that's going to be thrust upon you. And so don't let yourself down. Don't let your family down. Do everything from a spirit of strength, not a spirit of fear. But just know that we have evil things out there that are happening that are being forced upon us by evil people. And there's really nothing we can do about evil things done by evil people. Hopefully that we can change a little bit at the ballot box. But I think that we're in for a heck of a storm. And I think we're going to have to batten down the hatches and be prepared to weather the storm. And so that's what I'm trying to do in this show is to try to help you do just that. I really do appreciate all of my listeners. And I especially appreciate those that donate to keep me on the air. And I received a couple donations recently, and I really want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Because this show comes to you free of charge, and I buy all the airtime. It's totally self-produced. But I did so with the idea that I would want people to partner with me to try to help me get my message out. Because as I stated earlier, I'm not made out of money. And so there are limits to my finances. And so if you do get something from this show, if you think that this show is an asset, I would ask that you please consider donating to the show. Even if it's a very small donation, all donations are appreciated. And I assure you that every dime that I get on this broadcast goes right back into this broadcast. I don't make a living off of this. I take any donations I receive and invest it right back into my listeners. And so again, to those who donate, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And to the others, please consider donating. I would appreciate that as well. And I take checks and money orders and cash. And you would write the check out to Thunderbolt West Media. And you would mail to Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, Hershey, Nebraska. The area code is 69143. And again, every donation is very much appreciated. I thank you again for tuning in today. And until next time, stay strong, get prepped up, get prepared. Don't let anything stand in the way of your success. Be hopeful. Keep your powder dry. But most important of all, replace fear with faith. This is Jim Calhoun with the Living Off Grid Power and Information Show. The song Step Out on the Sea is performed by Brit Small and Festival. Thank you for listening to Thunderbolt West Media.